0: Thank you for reading. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Christchurch. It is good to be with you this morning. A special welcome to the Hobson family and friends. It is uh, exciting to have you with us and uh, EMA, uh, especially today, at the baptism. Uh, it is wonderful to be together. I wonder how you are at self-control. How is it? How are you with with temptation and, and resisting temptation? I, I, I wonder. I have to say, I'm pretty feeble when we have... Chocolate in the fridge, which is where we always keep our chocolate. I know that my heat map around the house will be red and bright around the kitchen and in the in the fridge. I mean, I, I find it very hard to res- resist. I, I love people who I find who have sort of strong self-discipline. You know, that iron will. Uh, my, my dad is amazing when, when we were kids growing up you know, we'd keep have the box of chocolates occasionally and, and they'd go round the, the, the family the five of us the kids and, and me and my mum and, and, and dad and, and we'd take one straight in you know, we'd hope for a second time round take another straight in you know, occasionally on the best days a third time round straight in and uh, uh, a few hours later I'd go into my, my dad's study home and, and he'd have his three chocolates lined up on his desk. You know, you could go several hours later, he'd still have two there. Even the next day, there'd be at least one. Uh, He had this amazing Well, I thought, well, maybe this is just a generational thing. I mean, he's wartime generation. They sort of rationally, you know, they know how to do that. And I thought it must be that, except my mum, who is now 85, cannot resist chocolate at all. (laughs) In fact my dad has to hide any chocolate that comes into the house at her permission to, so she doesn't eat it all. The problem is my dad is losing his memory a little bit and so he forgets where he's put the chocolate. Then he, <laughs> there we are. I, I know what you're like with, with self-control, with temptation. Of course the passage this morning that we are looking at is around this whole theme of temptation but of course something far deeper and more profound uh, than chocolate in the fridge. And I think we should pray as we come to this passage that God would speak to us. Father, we pray this morning as we gather here. We've got your word in our hands and your spirit in our hearts. And we pray, Lord, through this passage, you would speak into our lives and give us ears to hear your voice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, if you've got the Bible there and you want to keep it open, page 1030, that would be good because we're going to be following through this passage in a bit. But we've been studying Luke's gospel over these past few weeks uh, here at uh, Christ Church, if you're a visitor. And uh, Luke is a historian who, uh, uh, he says right at the start, has been carefully investigating and researching and pulling together eyewitness accounts and putting them into an orderly account. Uh, he's been introducing us to, the, to Jesus, to who Jesus is. And uh, uh, last time we saw through the baptism and the genealogy of Jesus, we saw three things about uh, Jesus. He is the um, That the Son of God, that is the one with all authority before whom all kings and authorities and powers will one day bow. Uh, We saw that Jesus is the suffering servant, that is the one who came to go to the cross, to come uh, that we might have forgiveness and life. Uh, We saw that Jesus is one of us, a human being uh, in the line of Adam. Next time, we're going to see the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In the next passage, Jesus going into the temple, putting forward his manifesto. Why has Jesus come? What's he going to do? And in our passage, it's before Jesus starts his ministry, the Spirit leads him out, did you see that, into the wilderness to be tested. He encounters the devil's temptation. It's his preparation for ministry, And the big question that we're supposed to be thinking and asking ourselves uh, is, will Jesus pass this test? Because you see, everyone else who has gone before and since have failed the test. As we read this passage, uh, we should have two other accounts from the Bible in our minds. If we are people who Luke's original readers and and, and us, if we know our Bibles, the first is the person of Adam in Genesis chapter 3. Luke has just given the genealogy of Jesus. He doesn't stop at Abraham like Matthew. He goes all the way back to Adam. Jesus is in the descendant of Adam. And then immediately he tells us about this temptation in in, in the desert, the temptation uh, of the devil. And we're supposed to think, and you may be familiar with it, of Genesis 3 and the the Garden of Eden and the devil coming in the form of a serpent to tempt Adam and to distort God's word. Uh, Did God really say you shouldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? And they respond, well, well, we can eat from any tree, just not this one. If we do, we'll die. Uh, you won't die, says the devil. Uh, there's a temptation to, to distort, to, to disbelieve God's word, to distrust it. And we know the tragic story and the desperately tragic consequences and the outcome. Adam and Eve disobey God's word. They spurn his love. They break faith with their creator and sin and death enter the world and we live with it, we feel it every day, every time we turn our screens on and we see what's going on in Ukraine, that death and destruction is a consequence of that decision to to disobey God and to trust uh, Satan. As we feel the pain of broken relationships, as we visit people in hospital, as we go to a funeral, we feel the effects of sin and, and death, the pain of betrayal of the God who made us and love us. So, so here's the question. Adam has failed. What about Jesus, as he's tempted in the same way? It's not just Adam, who we, we're supposed to be thinking of when we come to this passage. Uh, it's also um, Israel. So Luke describes Jesus being 40 days in the wilderness. And uh, uh, for those of uh, us who, who know the Bible, in the book of Exodus, of course, you remember God rescues the people out of Egypt, and they spend forty years in the wilderness. You might remember that story. God hears the cries of his people in slavery. He he loves them so much that he comes and he rescues them out of out of slavery. He takes them through the Red Sea into the wilderness. He he feeds them with. Uh, manna from heaven uh, water from a rock he promises he's going to take them into the promised land he, they have everything God has given them everything and some spies go into the promised land and they return and 10 of them say two say it's fantastic you, you won't believe it grapes the size of you know you've got to have men to carry these bunches of grapes, grapes it's so an amazing land and and the 10 others say but but the people are like giants and the cities are huge and instead of faith, instead of trusting God who's brought them this far and was going to take them into the promised land, uh, they're filled with fear and they, they grumble. And they say, well, we should have just, why did you bring us out here to die? We want to go back to Egypt. They reject God. They reject his good purposes. And they are condemned to wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, death. Uh, until a whole generation has, has died out. Uh, Israel failed to be the, the light to the world that God wanted them to be. Adam, the founder of the human race, faced with testing and temptation, fails. Israel, the light to the Gentiles, to the world, uh, faced with testing, failed. And so we come to this passage saying, well, what about Jesus? Uh, how will Jesus do when the devil comes? I mean, just a quick aside here on, on the devil. You see, Luke doesn't explain the devil. He, he assumes that his original readers will know exactly who he's talking about. Uh, the existence of a personal, evil, spiritual being, uh, one of the original angels fallen, rebelling against God, that's seen throughout the Bible, from the presence in the Garden of Eden to the final destiny as he's thrown into hell, into the lake of, lake of fire in the book of Revelation. Uh, We must be careful not to think, when we think of the devil, as uh, of, of, you know, red tights and little horns and a pitchfork and a kind of figure of fun. I mean, that's what he wants. He wants us to dismiss him, to see him as a figure of fun, see him as uh, someone irrelevant and unimportant. Uh, But let's make no mistake, the the devil is real. We may not see him, we may not fully understand him, but he exists now as he did then, his proud aim is to thwart the purposes of God wherever he can, to bring as much pain and suffering into God's world, to bring death and destruction wherever he can, to deceive, to lie, to take God's people away from God's good purposes, and ultimately to hell. That's the aim of the devil. It's what he wants for your life. It's what he wanted for Jesus there in the wilderness. Adam failed. Israel failed. We regularly fail. But what about Jesus? Well, let's look uh, briefly at these three temptations. Uh, We know the final answer, but it's important that we look at each of them uh, because each is relevant to us too. Temptation one, uh, physical bread or spiritual food, which is going to take priority? Now, it's tough. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and Luke rather states the obvious doesn't it he? He probably doesn't need to see that say this but he says at the end of them he was hungry I mean that's sort of stating the obvious isn't it uh, 40 minutes without a snack isn't straightforward in some homes uh, in my particularly uh, actually I've been I've been um I've been doing a bit of fasting in Lent uh, it's one of my least favorite spiritual disciplines Something I try and avoid as much as I can, but I know that the, you know Jesus assumes that people Christians are going to fast, uh, so i 've been trying to do it, a bit of that in, this, in, in Lent, and you know God is good, he has been uh, fruitful and productive, painful and horrible at times and and yet uh, it 's been good to to, to, to uh, recognize that actually being hungry is not a bad thing because I want to hunger after God more fully, to recognize that physical food, we can do without it for, for a while, and those pangs in the stomach uh, hit, they, they, they remind us of, of, um, of, of God's provision, especially in a place where we have so much in our, in our own world. Uh, it's been good to draw into God's presence, and then the anticipation of eating and breaking the fast is a is a great and a joyful thing. Uh, I, I encourage you to do it, but but uh, but forty days. I mean, this is a few hours, you know. I'm not I'm not exaggerating. I don't want to sort of so I'm doing something wonderful, but um, forty days. I mean, Jesus is hungry. Of course, he's hungry here, and um, and and so uh, uh, the devil comes to him. And the devil decides, of course, to home in on this area of of, uh, uh, weakness and our circumstances. The devil loves to do that. He knows where we're weak. He knows our our weak points. And so he says to Jesus, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. He knows that Jesus can do it. He knows that Jesus would like bread to eat at this point in time because he's hungry but Jesus answers and he quotes a verse, doesn't he, from Deuteronomy chapter 8, from God speaking to the people in the wilderness. We've got that in mind. Uh, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Now, Jesus is not saying here that our physical needs don't matter at all, but that they mustn't squeeze out our spiritual needs. That's what the devil wants, of course, for, for you and me. He wants us to, to keep us focused on our physical needs, on our, on our food and our homes and our health and our sex drive and our comforts, those things that we, we uh, often get uh, uh, obsessed about so that we can forget about our spiritual needs, those things which are even more profound and necessary. It's tempting, isn't it, to do? You get diverted and distracted from God's real ultimate purposes for our life, that by all the, the physical, material things that crowd in. Not unimportant, but more important is our relationship with him. That we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, from his word. That's what the devil wants for your life, to to get you obsessed with your physical appetites, to get you distracted with these things, to pull you away from God. So what do you wanted for Jesus here? But Jesus says, "No, man shall not live on bread alone." It's temptation one: spiritual need, physical need. Of God Jesus says, physical, spiritual need, uh, make that your number one priority. Temptation two is uh, uh, God 's way or... The easy way. So the devil comes again. You look down at verse 5. The devil leads Jesus up to a high place, shows him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. Don't don't, um, imagine that the devil is necessarily a physical form here. He's a a voice that's speaking into Jesus, giving this picture in Jesus' mind uh, of, of all the kingdoms of the world. And he says to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor. It's been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be Yours. What, the, what the devil's doing here is he's offering a shortcut to Jesus. You see, Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth, he is the owner of all kingdoms. Uh, it's not as if uh, the devil uh, can uh, offer it. One day, Jesus will, it'll all ultimately belong to him. But Jesus knew that there was a journey before he got to that place of ruling and reigning again. He left the glory of heaven, he'd come to earth as a man, and Jesus knew before he entered into the glory there'd be three years. This is the beginning of his ministry, rejection, homelessness, humiliation. Jesus knew that there would be betrayal and torture and execution. Jesus could see it laying out ahead of him. Uh, he would have to bear the, the sin of the world, a torture more excruciating than we can possibly imagine, not just physical and emotional, but spiritual as he's cut off from the Father. Uh, Jesus knows what lies ahead, uh, and the devil is tempting him. He said, you can avoid all of that. You can avoid the cross. You can avoid the pain. You can avoid everything. Just worship me, and, and, and you can have it straight away, uh, this power and authority. We can't imagine the horror of that temptation because we can never imagine the horror of the cross. But, but Jesus wonderfully responds at uh, verse 8. It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He said, I'm going God's way. I'm serving him, uh, my Father, even if it means going all the way to the cross. God has made a great world, hasn't he? We, so many good things to enjoy. Such a beautiful world and, and so many good things. Um, and and he, he's made it for our joy and our enjoyment. So good, it's good to enjoy God's world. But, but, but as he calls us to follow him, he calls us to a life of self sacrifice, a life of serving others, a life of, of giving, not just taking. Uh, the road to life, Jesus said, is narrow. It can be hard. It's countercultural. It's costly to be following Jesus, to be going in God's way. So let's be clear the devil is still at work, tempting us to take the easy way, the broad road the materialistic path, he does it with simple things, I think, you know, he does it with online shopping, or with, you know, planning another holiday, or binge watching another box set, or, or things which just, no, which will just gradually take us away, building an extension, hours of video games, none of these things are wrong, in fact, some of these things are wonderful, they're gifts from God, we can enjoy them all, but, but as they pull us away, The devil whispers, you know, these will fill your life, these will make you happy, these will satisfy you. But it's all lies. If we bow the knee to comfort and ease and material things, especially if in our affluent part of the world, if they fill our lives and God is gradually pushed out little by little, we're in big trouble. It's what the devil wants for your life, of course. But we hear Jesus saying to us, even today, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Temptation three. You gonna trust God or are you gonna test God? See, the devil takes Jesus to the highest point in, in, in the temple in Jerusalem. It's a huge building, the ancient temple in Jerusalem, and it stood on the edge of a valley uh, into the Kidron Valley. So if you're at the top of the the the, the temple, it was about 100 metres drop to the bottom of the, the Kidron Valley. It was a big drop. Not good if you like if you got vertigo. Uh, but here he is in a, in a, in a, in uh, this place, and uh, it's a great public place, of course, for a spectacular show of power of, of rescue. And um, and the devil, uh, the devil, you don't. He's now noticed that Jesus likes quoting scripture. Because Jesus answered back with the Bible twice, and now Jesus, the devil thinks, well, I, I'm going to have a go at that. And so he, uh, he says to Jesus, throw yourself down, and he quotes the Bible for Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They're going to lift you up in their hands so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. Go on, he says, see if it's true. You can jump off the cliff, uh, and, and, and if the Bible's true, and if God's true and he really cares about you, he'll just lift you up with his angels and he'll rescue you. And Jesus knows that God is there. He knows that God is a God who saves. He knows that Psalm 91 is a beautiful psalm of protection and assurance from God. And I know it's been a rich psalm for many of us here. Uh, But he also knows the devil's game. And so he quotes again, doesn't he, from Deuteronomy. He said, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's not right to test God. You're to simply believe and trust in God and His Word. Don't test Him. I often hear people say to me, um, "You know, if God is real, why doesn't He do something spectacular? You know, surely He should do some skywriting. I am here." Or, or something sort of miraculous. People say, that, "You know, I want to see God. I want to feel. I want to. I want to, He's got to do something if I'm going to ever believe in Him. He's got to zap me with something, or you know, do something." And you know, maybe you think that to yourself sometimes. Just want to more something else. But that is the devil's temptation. We, we when we arrogantly put God in the dock. And we say, you know, prove yourself before we will believe in you. We want to test him and, 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 and suggest that he must do what we want him to do before we believe. Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, God has already demonstrated his existence in many ways to us. We have evidence all around us. Let's look at the awesome creation that we we enjoy, this gorgeous recent sunshine these last few weeks, the beautiful Surrey hills, the amazing moon we've seen in this last month, the the stunning sky at at night. I mean, uh, we've seen the handiwork. This is God saying, this is my handiwork. I'm here. Or or just look around at your family or your friends. Look at yourself in the mirror. You see some amazing people. Unique, gifted, special, precious, made in God's image, reflecting Him in, in, in their reason, in their love, in, in, who, they're, in, in who they are. Uh, as you look at, around at people, at the people you love, at little baby Ema, uh, what a gift. God is saying, I'm here. This, you can see my handiwork in, in all that you are uh, enjoying. Or, or most significantly, look back 2,000 years into history, look at Jesus Himself. Uh, at his life, his death, we see God revealing himself in human form into the world. And God is saying, look, here I am. God with us. Uh, not just as creator, but as the one who loves you. God has given us all the, the evidence we, we need in, in creation and in, in, in Jesus and in scripture. And, the, and yet the devil will tempt us to test God to disbelieve in his existence, to doubt his word until, uh, well, probably until never, because nothing will ever be enough if we're going to keep testing. And God says, I want to trust me. And Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So the temptations are done. Verse 13, isn't that wonderful? Uh, When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune moment. So, The temptations are gone, Adam failed, Israel failed, Uh, Jesus smashed the test, Uh, Jesus uh, conquered uh, Satan's temptations, Uh, hallelujah, so I had to put that in brackets because I know we're not really a sort of hallelujah kind of hallelujah, but but, but this is wonderful, Jesus has done it, Jesus did it, if he hadn't, everything was at stake. Our salvation is at stake, Christianity falls apart, our lives, we wouldn't be here uh, if Jesus hadn't at that f- had fallen at the first hurdle as Adam had and as Israel had, but Jesus didn't, he conquered uh, that temptation and he continued through to the cross. What does that mean for us? Well, it means two things, it means one, that when we face temptation, and we will, uh, always, all the time. Satan will continue prowling around like a lion, wanting to destroy you, wanting to deceive you, wanting to take you away from God's purposes uh, until uh, until the the end of time, until you go to to be with with Christ or until uh, he comes again. Uh, Temptation coming, Uh, what does this mean? It means, one, that Jesus has defeated Satan. He has done it that we might be forgiven. He's been to the cross. So when we... When we do fall, because we will fall, you will fall, you'll be, and, and I know and all of us will have a guilt and shame at times. Jesus has given his life. He's conquered Satan. He has given it so that our guilt and our shame can be taken away. Even when you fall again into temptation and you mess it up again, uh, you can turn your eyes back to Jesus. Uh, know that he has uh, won there for you at the cross of victory, and you can know forgiveness and uh, his mercy and, and be restored again to get up and keep going uh, in your walk with Christ. Uh, we have a saviour in Jesus. And we have a strengthener in Jesus. Because we don't have to fall, we don't have to give in, we don't have to when temptation comes. Uh, It was Martin Luther when he was talking about temptation, he said, look, you can't stop the birds flying over your head, but you can stop them nesting in your hair. It's a good image, that, isn't it? Temptation will be around, Satan will be around, there will be things which will draw us away from Christ. We don't have to give in. Because we have Jesus who has promised to be with us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to allow us to go to the throne of grace to find help in every time of need. Uh, let me finish with this wonderful verse. It's one of my two of my favorite verses. I think uh, um, Keith always even used them in the prayer this morning. Second one. For we don't have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. They're thinking about this passage. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This week, when temptation comes, when you're being drawn away from God's purposes, when you're, uh, when you're being tempted to, to put your physical needs before your spiritual needs, to, 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 uh, to test God, when you're being tempted to, uh, um, to not trust him, well, go to Jesus. Go to your high priest. Go to the throne of grace. Find help for that moment. We need to stop. I'm going to, uh, let's just pause for a moment. As the musicians come up, we're going to sing again in a moment. But perhaps just to just pause as they're coming. Just for you to, to speak to God, to do some business with God, to ask him to help you. Maybe there's a particular area right now where you are facing temptation. A particular way where you're doubting, you're being drawn away. You need God's help. Uh, Go to him now in your heart. Ask for that help. Lord, we thank you for your grace and kindness to us. Uh, We thank you for that decision, even of the Hobson family today, to reject the devil and all rebellion against God in those baptism promises. Lord, may that be true for each of us. May we look to Jesus when we are feeling weak. Lord, we thank you for him. We thank you that he's our savior. We pray that you would keep our eyes fixed on him. For Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.